I get the chance to uh, bring God's word to you, but I want to uh, remind you and ensure you that Pastor Randy will be back next week. He's super looking forward to being back here with you. I texted with him this morning. He told me he's praying for me all night last night because he knows how, um, you know, how I can mess stuff up. So, but no, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. Uh, he's just uh, great like that. He's been thinking about uh, our church and, uh, and this place so much, even while he's away. I try to tell him to stop that, but he just won't. So, I love him. He'll be back next week. With that, I want to invite you to ask yourself a question, how will you grow in your faith today? And it really has, that question doesn't have much to do with the talk except for the fact that you're in church, and I expect that you didn't get up early on Sunday morning to come to a place to just hear somebody talk, but you're actually somewhat thinking about how your faith could grow as a result of being here. But I want to take it one step further, and just before I get into this talk, ask you, how will that happen? How will it happen for you? Not just today, but this week. I'm gonna take 15 seconds and just let you think about this week. Ask yourself the question, how can I grow as a result of this service or my journey? How can I grow in my faith? Take a second. If you need to take a note and remind yourself of what it's gonna be Tuesday morning, that's great. Go ahead and do it. I'll give you a couple seconds. Father, I thank you that your word tells us that your grace grows us, and it also tells us that we can put ourselves in a place of obedience and sacrifice so that we grow in that grace. So Lord, I pray that today as we share your word, as we share story, and as we even look at who you are, maybe in a new way, in a simple way, but a new way, that you would grow us up even more than what we were when we walked into this place. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. All right. So 1999 was an interesting year for me. I went to work for a company called PDM or Pitt Des Moines. Pitt Des Moines, you probably, anybody ever heard of Pitt Des Moines, PDM? Maybe a couple of you. Um, my mom raised her hand. Thanks, mom. Love you. Um, she's like, I have honey. Um, so Pitt Des Moines is better known for the establishment of the St. Louis Arch. That's the company combined with a couple other companies that built the St. Louis Arch. But when I took a job with Pitt Des Moines, we, I, was a, I was an upstart welder trying to uh, prove myself, and I, I took this job, and we were building elevated water tanks. Anybody uh, know what an elevated water tank? In case you can't remember what they look like, we have a picture for you to take a look at. If you're listening by podcast, please don't stop the car. Um, just look at the next one as you drive by. But uh, elevated water tanks are about 130 feet in the air, typically. And I had a, my first job working for this company as a, as a bull ganger, or basically just a, a scrub, you know, like you run and get everything all the, the better guys need. And in the midst of my time with this crew, I was working on a lot of different projects, and I remember rolling into one job site in Georgia, in the red clay of Georgia, where we were building a large tank for a future refinery. And in case you don't know, when refineries are built, they're actually built in, in innards first. They build the tanks and everything inside, and then they put the walls up around them. And so it was a clay ground, and this tank was in the, in the later stages of being built. And it was my job to do all the dirty work. Um, not all of it. There's a, a number of us that were trying to prove ourselves worthy. The foreman's name of the crew I worked on was WC. Now, one thing you need to know about WC is that he was from the deep woods back country of Louisiana. 
And I know if he was here right now, he would say, that's not how you say it, boo-boo. And in case you're wondering why he would call me boo-boo, it's because he gave me the nickname within the first week of my job with him because he said I look so much like Yogi Bear's little buddy. <laughs> and the ones of you that are laughing, you're in my age group. Some of you are like, who's Yogi Bear? I don't know who that is. You know, so if you don't, go ahead and look it up, Google it. You know, ask Siri to tell you what boo-boo is. Well, maybe not, because who knows what you're going to get back, right? Um, so he said he would give me directions every morning, and he'd call on boo-boo to do crazy stuff and give me jobs that were way too much for the day and say, yeah, if you can finish that, boo-boo, you can get home early if you want. And I'd be like, what? I still don't understand you. Half of our conversations were filled with me saying what and him repeating myself and then him just pointing and telling me to go because I just couldn't get the Louisiana accent for a while. So on one 95-degree Georgia day, closer to the end of this project, I found myself faced with a tough assignment, a very tough assignment. I didn't realize how tough it was going to be until it begun. It had begun, and I was there trying to complete it. Toward the end of every job, it would be my job as the newest member of the team to grind all the fixtures and the, the hardware that had been stuck to the, the, the tank, so the fitters would go around, just to give you, I'm gonna get a little technical here for the sake of your understanding of this. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Some of you are like, why did I come to church to hear about building tanks? Am I actually gonna do this? I am not a Pitt Des Moines recruiter, I promise. But it would be my job to grind these things off. And on this day, uh, essentially what you use is a elect, or an air-powered grinder. Any, any people in the room ever use an air-powered grinder? They're like 15 pounds of pure demon. And you hold them and they make this sound like, the whole time you're holding them and then the air drops and they're like and the lame 21 year old is like trying to get the job done while the air is not working on the grinder and the whole while just sweating in 95 degrees with leathers and fireproof jackets on and you're grinding and grinding and grinding so I'm grinding and grinding and grinding and WC one morning says hey boo boo come here and I say yeah WC what's up and he goes I need you to go up in that box and grind the stuff out and come back down we'll get, don't get out of here <laughs> what He said, I need you to go up in the box inside the tank, grind all the hardware out, come on down here, and then we can get going. We can get on to the house. And I was like, all right, well, the faster I get this done, the faster everybody gets to go home. Performance increasing. I'm like, all right, I'm going to be the guy that finishes this. Everybody else is cleaning up. We're going to kill it. I'm going to get up there make this happen. So I go to work. I'm, I'm putting my green leather jacket on, or green flame retardant jacket on. I put my leather apron on. I put my five-point harness on. I get going. I put my respirator on, my three-quarter respirator. I put my hard hat, my earplugs, 95 degrees, by the way. Hard hat, face shield, grab the grinder, airline, going up the ladder, 125 feet. I get going. By the time I get to the top, I had lost probably about 20 pounds. A lot harder to lose that weight now, by the way, just saying. You know, there's something about the tension, the, the relationship between tension and light. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, knowledge and understanding aren't the same. Right? Like, I can have an understanding of what somebody has asked me to do, and I, he can tell me what I'm about to, supposed to do, but there's a whole different reality once you get into the situation, right? It's kind of common sense. What, a lot of what I'm going to share with you today isn't, isn't crazy complicated because I'm not a crazy complicated guy. I'm pretty, I have to keep things pretty simple. A lot of times I'll ask some people, can you just boil that down, please? I don't, I'm not with you. So simple truth, right? Knowing how to do something 
and doing it are two different things. And when he said, go up into that box and grind all the hardware out of there, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Good. I'm going to be the best grinder in that box you've ever seen. And I didn't know what that meant until I started getting myself in there. So I climbed up that ladder, and I got up to 120 feet, and I walked across the inside of that scaffolding, hooking myself off the whole time, 100% safe the whole way. And when I got to the box, I realized, oh, this is going to be tight because there's only about this much room, about, probably about a foot at the, at the top of this box, because it's a relief valve. Water fills the tank, goes into this little box, and then pours out. Do you ever wonder how they don't explode when the pressure rises? That's how. <laughs> I learned something at church today. Good job. All right, so water fills this tank, and then it comes up inside the box to go out the relief tube down to the ground. Well, I, in my little self, had to squeeze myself into the box with no real natural air or light coming in, and I had to, in all my garb, grind every little spot and weld that was inside that box. And so I went to work. I went to work fast, and I went to work to prove myself. And as I went to work, sweat just pouring down my head. Sweat and grime and dust and dirt and sparks are flying everywhere. And I'll tell you this, um, just as maybe a note for the day, how we grow has a lot to do with how we respond to light. How we grow has a lot to do with how we respond to light. Scripture calls Jesus the the light. He illuminated the world. And how we grow has a lot to do, I don't think just spiritually, but even in our physical world, how we respond to the brightness of the world around us. So on this day, I found that out even more. I was grinding and grinding and grinding, and my battery-powered flashlight went, started going dead until it went completely dead. And I'm not a guy that's afraid of the dark. I also overcame my fear of heights at this job, obviously, and was in this box, and as I'm grinding, the only light that was in that space was the sparks from the grinder. And I'm grinding and grinding and grinding, and I'm thinking in my head, I can do this, I'm tough. 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 I, I'm going to get through this. I'll just grind and grind and grind, and the Space is about five feet by four feet, so I'm a short guy, but I could, you know, I was kind of crouched over, my back starting to hurt. I'm thinking, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then in my head, this little voice spoke up and it said, what if you can't get out? Just almost, wasn't even audible, wasn't, I didn't speak it to myself, I just thought it in the back of my mind. What if I can't get out? And I dismissed it immediately as illogical and unreasonable. But the more I ground and the darker it got and the more sweat that ran down my face, I started thinking, what if, what if I can't get out? What if I can't get out? <laughs> what if I can't get out? What if I can't get out? What if I can't get out? And it, and it got to the point where I'm freaking out. My heart is beating out of my chest. I can't really breathe through the respirator. I'm pulling the respirator off inside of this to try to get a full breath, but I first time in my life I ever went into a full-blown panic attack inside of a steel box, inside of a 130-foot tall tower, having squeezed myself into this space, thinking, there's no way, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. The thought that what if I can't get out had turned into, I'm going to die in about four seconds. I'm going to die here. Nobody's going to find me. They're all going to go into the house, and I'm going to be up here, and they're going to forget I was here. Have you ever did, decided to stay in a dark place because you wanted to prove yourself to somebody? Have you ever decided to just keep doing what you're doing, knowing that it's ugly just because you want to be somebody that somebody else wants you to be? Maybe it's been a good thing. Maybe you've been in a place that's difficult and hard, and you've 
tried even harder to be strong in the midst of that moment to prove yourself or prove to yourself that you can do it. Have you ever been there? I was there physically, but I think we all go there maybe emotionally and sometimes even spiritually. We try to prove ourselves able to walk through life without a spiritual center. We don't need that. It's a crutch. I'm strong. I've been through worse. This won't last long. I'll be fine. Are kind of the mantras of that moment, right? Maybe for you it's been a difficult situation or a family member that's put you through a hard time or you're putting them through a hard time. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a cousin. I don't know what it is. Luke actually said this morning in the, in the brief time of worship we had, he said, uh, we give God our, our dependence, right? We give God our dependence, and, and that can be taken two ways. And so dependence is what I depend on, right? I give God my dependence. I depend on him. But for me this morning, I'll be honest, when I hear dependence, I think like a taxpayer. I think, oh, I have dependence. And immediately my mind went to, will I give them up to God? Or am I going to micromanage and try to control their life? The ones who depend on me. I've got to come to the reality of these questions. How will you grow in your faith this week? So, my light's out. I'm feeling inside the walls of this box, and I'm trying to use my grinder to make short work of as much as I can, and I'm totally freaking out. Totally and completely freaking out. What if they all leave? They're going to forget I'm here. I'm the new guy on the crew. So, what I do, I'm not sure to this day if the inside of that box ever got really truly ground. I don't know. Because what I did was I threw that grinder down and basically hustled as fast as I could, squeezing myself out of that box, across the scaffolding, down the ladder, and as I got out, I couldn't catch my breath, I'm throwing my stuff off and I'm saying, ah, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. And as I'm freaking out, the men on the crew are starting to like notice something's wrong with this kid from New York and they're pulling themselves around and they're getting closer to me and I'm freaking out even more because they're present and they're pushing in and they're trying to find out if I ground my head off. I don't know what they're thinking, but I'm freaking out. I can't breathe. And I couldn't understand WC most of the time. And I always said what to him whenever we had a conversation. But on this day, I heard him loud and clear. And he asked me a question and he made a statement. I don't think he learned it in like a a leadership podcast or a how to train your workers not to freak out episode of leadership entrepreneur. I don't think that's where he found it. He ran up on the crowd, pushed people out of the way, said, back up, boo-boo, back up. What's the problem? Back up, boo-boo, what's the problem? And I can't tell you how, well, actually, I think I figured out how that moment was so powerful for me. I want to share with you why I think that statement and that question were so powerful for me that day. Because as I'm freaking out, as Boo-Boo comes down from the inside of this place, thinking he's going to die, by the invisible deceptions of his mind, there was someone who could not see those invisible deceptions that spoke a question that revealed the truth. And WC asked a question from a place of proximity that helped me understand what was true and what wasn't true. I was alive. I got out, and he could see it, and he asked me to qualify and verify it. And I don't think, like I said, it wasn't from Leadership 101. It was just simply him 
defining and characterizing his proximity to the problem, and it revealed light. Sometimes we need to be a people that recognize the power of proximity and perspective, because it was WC's proximity and his perspective that gave power to his words. Write this down. Write this down. It was his proximity and perspective that gave power to his words. Simple truths with honest perspective bring transformative change. It wasn't complicated. It was what I needed to hear in the moment. And as a result, it calmed me down and helped me understand the reality and the truth of the moment. A panicking 20-some-year-old kid calmed by his physical presence. It reminded me. I made it out. The situation was illuminated, and my own self-deception was seen. Proximity and perspective can make the difference, all the difference in the world. So there's another leader who did this pretty well. Not sure if you've ever heard of him. His name's Jesus. Anybody ever heard of that guy? Jesus did this uh, in a way that I think was incredible, and uh, you can find this story in Luke chapter 8. And Jesus was like, insanely good at leadership, right? Every book that's ever been written on leadership, you can look at his life and see the original implications of it. And Jesus is walking with his crew. It's an election year, so Jesus is fielding all these questions about foreign policy, and he's like, you know, what are you going to do about the Syrians, Jesus? What would you do with North Korea, Jesus? What would you do with um, the situation and this and that? And I'm sure as Jesus walks through towns, he's fielding every different question from every different perspective, and as he's walking through this crowd of people with his squad, he stops. Now, you know what? Let's read it. Luke 8, 45 through 48. This is the account of what happens as Jesus is walking through a, a group of people. He says this. Who was it that touched me? Wait, wait, wait. Who was it that touched me? And when all denied Touching him, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Hear Peter's voice. He's like, what are you talking about? There's like hundreds of people around you. How could we figure out who, which one of these people touched you? But Jesus said, no, someone, tu- someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Pretty amazing. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus, the person and presence of God. You see, when Jesus came to earth in that little manger that we sing about in December, he didn't just come as a baby Jesus. He came as the one God, true God, wrapped in human flesh, humbly, setting aside his godhood and wrapping himself in the humility of man, and as a human being lived out his life. He set aside his power of glory and assumed the position of humanity. And as he did so, walked through this earth in a way that demonstrated what it means to be in step with God. And so, we see Jesus as the powerful figure in this moment, right? We see lots of people in proximity to Jesus. But we only see one powerful transformation in this moment. I would submit to you that the powerful transformation that happened as a result of this woman coming to Jesus was related to her perspective of who Jesus is. She believed that Jesus really was who he said he was and that he was her only hope. 
Because she had been through, if you don't know the story, she had been through years and years of medical bills and difficulties with her body. She had tried everything and done everything. She tried all the essential oils. She tried all the, the homeopathic remedies. She probably flew out of town for all the experimental f- stuff, and then nothing worked, and she came to Jesus, and she grabbed a hold of him in an in a attitude of humility and said, you're my only hope. My perspective is that, Jesus, you can heal me. Sacrificing all of the cultural and social honor, she would be dismissed from her society. Instead, she rests in the knowledge that Jesus would be her hope. He would break her free from the darkness of the moment. And Jesus turns to her and verifies, this is true. Your faith has made you whole. Your perspective, combined with my proximity, has made you whole today, woman, go. You're healed. When his proximity intersected with her faithful perspective, his power was revealed at his pace. See, because there was another guy. If you know the story, you know that there was a a guy who had come to Jesus first, and he was actually the reason why Jesus was traveling from one town to the other, and Jairus, his daughter, was dying, and he said, Jesus, would you come with me and heal my my daughter? She's dying, And, and as Jesus was on his way, this woman grabbed his tunic, right, and slowed him down and stopped him, and Jesus ceases, and one of the most powerful things I love about Jesus is he doesn't get ahead or behind of what the Holy Spirit's leading him to do, but he stays in step with him. A lot of times now we call this kind of space mindfulness. I don't, you know, Eastern Zen Buddhism talks about mindfulness, and it's like the absence of all things true, but I think God's Word says in Psalms that God is mindful of us, and it's not an absence of all things true, but true mindfulness is the presence of all things true, and when Jesus walked through his life, he was mindful and present of the true moment, and he walked at his pace according to what the Spirit led him to do. So in this moment, Jairus is, I think, probably a bit like I was coming down out of that tank, freaking out a bit, wondering if he was ever going to be able to see the hope of light again for his child. And he's looking at Jesus and going, come on, come on, come on. And he's got messengers coming back and saying, it's not looking good, it's not looking good. But Jesus takes at his pace, at his time. Some of us need to just hear the reality that maybe you, you've heard this all before. You're, you're in proximity to Jesus. You spend your quiet time each morning. You devote yourself to God's word. You, you listen to podcasts. You're here on Sunday mornings and you're, you're ready to learn and grow and you're praying for something to change. And in the midst of that moment, you're going, God, why not now? Why not fix this? Why not heal this? Why not do this? And in the midst of that moment, you're much like me coming out of the tank and you're confused and you're, you're frustrated and you're wondering what's gonna happen and Jesus just might be standing there saying, what's the problem? What's the problem? Don't you know who I am? And the the self-deception in that moment, if we're willing to humbly come before Jesus and we're willing, because of our proximity to him, to humbly change our perspective to what is wrong, to what is true, we realize that Jesus doesn't see our problem as a problem. It's actually invisible uh, to him because he's already broken the power over it. And when we come close to him with a humble perspective, power from the Most High is revealed, but not in our time, in his. I know that's hard to hear. Listen, I've been in ministry long enough and I've been a human being long enough to know that there's deep wounds and hurts in the lives of other human beings. And to hear a talk on the pace of God and resting in his pace when you're in the midst of a I can't breathe moment can be really frustrating. I'm with you. 
More importantly, Jesus is with you. Our perspective of Jesus is critically important. Like Majuba. Like Majuba, right? You guys remember Majuba? No? Nobody remember? Okay, well, let me fill you in. Majuba, if you were brought up in British culture, uh, you would have heard about Majuba. Um, Majuba was a battle in the First Boer War. And the soldiers from Great Britain were positioned in their strength and power atop a large hill. And in their confidence and in their um, understanding of power and their positioning, they thought these oncoming soldiers will be absolutely no problem to defeat. The British soldiers made up about 500. The Boer soldiers were greatly outnumbered and outgunned. There was about 400 of them that day as they decided to march up the hill. And the Great Britain soldiers loaded their guns that were lined out at about 300 to 400 yards. History tells us their guns could hit the mark at a very long range. And the Boer soldiers had their guns sighted in at about 50 yards. So the Boer soldiers, understanding their perspective of the battlefront, adopted a new way of fighting. Great Britain soldiers were in a line across the top of the hill, and the Boer soldiers would dive in and out of high grass from left to right, making it very hard for them to be hit by any kind of artillery that was firing at them. But one of the good things that they had going for them is the British commander was so confident in their sure victory that he decided to set all the cannons and large artillery aside for this battle because it was so sure that they would win. That day, Britain suffered an incredibly historic loss. A hundred of their soldiers died and one of the Boer soldiers was lost. Why? Perspective. Perspective. The British soldiers did not understand that every time they fired around at the oncoming enemy, they were shooting 10 to 15 feet above their head, and they couldn't understand why they weren't hitting the mark. And I think a lot of times in our life, our frustrations and our struggles and even our moments of can't breatheness is related to our misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And today, my hope my prayer, people ask me, like, what's your, what's your hope for the day as you preach? And my hope for today is that you would choose a different perspective about Jesus. Maybe you're somebody who's uh, far from a safe and, and calm environment, and you're wondering if Jesus could really ever be the hero that the Scriptures call him to be my hope would be that you might take a chance and get curious about who he is. Maybe you're somebody here who you've trusted in Jesus with your life, you've trusted in him and you've followed after him, but there's something going on where you're just not, you're not sure that he can handle it. My hope is that today would be a day where you go, you know what, Jesus? I trust you. I trust you with my dependence. My dependence. I trust you with the difficulties. I trust you with this work situation. I trust you with it. All the small pieces of my life that I've kept to myself, I, I trust you with them. At the beginning of the talk, I asked you to think about how you would respond uh, or how you would grow in your faith this week. 
And for some of you, um, that's very, very personal and quiet and private. Uh, it might be spending a little bit of time in your scriptures this week. Maybe you're going to download a Bible app and spend some time doing a plan there. That'd be awesome. Maybe for others of you, it'll be um, coming down in the front and praying with someone in just a few moments and asking them to join arms with you in prayer over a, a situation. Maybe for others of you, it might be signing up for learning to follow Jesus and, and being coached in your journey of faith. I don't know what it's going to be for you, and I, I'm nowhere near smart enough to figure out what that is for everybody, but I believe that the Holy Spirit causes you to be an expert on your own life and can enlighten you enough to know what your next step is. One last thing before we sing through this song. Uh, as we were worshiping here today, I, I realized, um, you know, I was, I was cooped up in a, in a steel box, in a, in a water tank for a few minutes. I didn't think I could ever get out, but I got out. But you know what? The story of Jesus reminds us that he takes our place. And Jesus, when I think about this story, and however simple it might be, Jesus took my place in a box that he couldn't get out of. He took my place in a space where there was nobody to help him, there was nobody to heal him. There was nobody to bring him out from under the weight of darkness. And he died. And in the midst of that moment, it wasn't about anything other than his love for you. Jesus Christ died so that the world would know they are loved by God and that their sins would not be held against them if they're willing to trust him. And so today, I want to invite you to celebrate that truth, to celebrate that glorious reality that Jesus is the hero of the story. And as we go forward and take steps in that, it would be a shame for you not to realize the goodness and the grace and the wonder of who Jesus is for you. So as we sing through this song, I'm going to shut up for a second, let you respond in however way is necessary. You can get out of your seat, you can jump up and down, you can sit quietly and just reflect on the word. But I'm going to ask you just to take a moment and reflect on this thought and ask yourself the question, maybe even write down a note here during the song, what, you, what are you going to do this week to grow in your faith? From wherever you stand in that journey, what are you going to do this week? Let's sing together. Why don't you stand and we'll sing a little bit before we head out. <laughs>